We haven't had the opportunity to speak. Let me introduce myself briefly, give you some uh, headlines. I'm married to Georgina, and we have a little girl called Isa who is two years old. We have been in Birmingham for five years now. I say Birmingham because we first of all moved to Marston Green. We've been living in Sutton Coalfield for five, uh, four years, just about. Um, but we very much feel that we were called to the city and that we are living in this community and working out our purpose for God's plan within Sutton Coalfield. But for us, we, we are called to this city. And um, I know that that's, that will be really important for some people to understand. We've been... We were with Stuart and Melanie at the previous church, and we moved up from the southeast when they uh, said that they were going to come and plant this church. We said, we'll come too. We left behind jobs there, and we found new jobs up here um, in Birmingham. We thoroughly enjoy being part of Real Life Church. The journey has been hard in places, but we absolutely love it, and we found so much, there's so much reward for, for following in God's footsteps and, and, and trusting in what he wants to do. It's not easy graft, but it is good graft. Um, George and I look after life groups. We oversee them. We have five groups at the moment, and we are looking at expanding those in the not-too-distant future. The whole idea behind life groups is that it gives you a place to come and be part, to fellowship with one another, and to grow in your relationship with Jesus. And they're, they're a key foundation within our church. So if you're not part of one, please do come and speak to us and we'd like to tell you a bit more about them and get you linked up with someone with one of those groups. Let's get into the new series then. So this whole Easter period is going to be spent looking at Jesus the King and there's going to be four sessions. I'm teaching on the coming kingdom, ah, sorry, the coming king and this is going to be looking at Jesus entering the Jerusalem to the praise of his people. Matt's going to pick up the dying king, which is going to be following on, and that'll be next Sunday. And this will be looking at Jesus the king, and uh, as he lays out the new covenant and he dies on the cross. Followed by that will be Melanie looking at the risen king. And this will be Jesus rising from death, overcoming his enemies. And then Stuart's going to close the series looking at the present king. And that will be uh, Jesus ushering in the new kingdom and the fact that we, he will always be with his people. Okay, so that's the, the, the four-week overview. Let's start with the coming king. If you'd like to, we're going to be preaching from Luke 19. If you want to dig that out whilst I'm doing the, an introduction, then, then go for it. It's Luke 19, starting at verse 28. I won't get there just yet. The first thing I want to look at in order to get us to a place of preparation for this series, is to look at truth. And we as mankind have a responsibility to find out what truth is and then to believe in it. And therefore, as Christians, we find out the truth about God and about Jesus and who he is, and then we put our faith in that. Now, but we live in a society which has a different attitude towards truth. And it's one thing that I'm hugely conscious of, and it frustrates the life out of me. But we're in a society where truth has been eroded, truth has been devalued, and in many ways, society says that if you have enough faith in absolutely anything, then that thing will become truth for you. And I fundamentally disagree with that. And therefore, I want to start this series off by doing a quick look at what truth is and making sure we, as believers, or we who are looking for the truth, we may not have met Jesus yet, we who are looking for the truth in life know how to go about doing that. 
But be warned as well as Christians, because this has happened to me, that your truth can drift. If you don't respect it, the truth of the Bible, the truth of God, it will drift. And it's happened to me, and I'm, in many ways the Freedom in Christ course that we've just finished has helped me get clarity, redefine those foundations and deal with some, some lies that have crept in, some untruths. So even if you're a believer and you've been a believer for a while, have your, be conscious today and over this series about where your truth lies. And is it actually grounded on Jesus Christ? So the first truth, if we're going to arrive at Jesus the King, have you got the slide, Pete? Okay. If, if we're going to arrive at Jesus the King, then we actually need to go back a few steps. And we should appreciate, therefore, that Jesus is the Son of God. But we actually need to go back a step further than that and understand that God was here at the beginning of all things. So that's where I'm going to start my little journey. Now... You might think, I'm saved and I'm okay about this and I've got this all sorted out, which is brilliant. But please, please value this little opportunity to contemplate your truth. And maybe when you're sharing it with other people, this will help you in, the, in, in, in evangelism or, 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 or explaining your faith to somebody else. I'm going to start with the truth that God is responsible for making the earth, the universe and everything in it. And then I'm going to go to say that actually Jesus, although not named as Jesus, was there at the beginning of time. Right, so if I'm going to turn to Genesis 1. You don't need to hop around with me, there's going to be a little bit of hopping. First of all, to begin with, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the truth that God revealed to the people of Israel, that he was there before creation and he brought creation into being. That is a foundational principle of Christian truth. And I hope that it's something that you will have heard before. And in many ways, I'm repeating things that you already know and you really have at the foundation of your core. It's something that society doesn't necessarily believe. Now this is further supported when one of Jesus' disciples talks about Jesus being the word. The first thing in John's gospel, he opens by saying, everything came into being through the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. So John, Jesus' witness, is connecting the flesh and blood, that he, Jesus that he knows, and that he walked with while he was on the earth, with the God that was here at the beginning of creation. So that's our first truth. God is responsible for making the earth, the universe, and everything in it. And the second truth is that that word, that the, that the God of creation became man through Jesus Christ. And for this, I'm going to look at Luke 1, which is a, a really special moment. This is when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Because in my mind, I wonder how on earth can God become flesh? And it's put really well. Okay, I'm looking at Luke, uh, Luke 1, starting at 26. It says, In the sixth, sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear womb and bear a son and you shall name and you shall call him Jesus at this moment nothing's particularly weird about this she's engaged she's to Joseph and at no at some point they will probably try to have a baby and she will conceive however the angel goes on to say that 
the son will be called, sorry, this, name, this boy Jesus will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Prior to Jesus even being conceived, the angel is saying there's special things about this baby. He will have an eternal kingdom. He will inherit David's kingdom and for the, that kingdom there will be no end. So I think Mary would be, be slightly not only terrified by the presence of the angel Gabriel, but also a bit confused about the, the things that the, um, Gabriel is saying is going to happen. In verse 34, her response is, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the Son will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Right. So there's going to be a miraculous event here. She, being a virgin, is going to become pregnant via the Holy Spirit, and the baby, therefore, that is born is going to be the Son of God. It's going to be an, a miraculous baby. So that is taking the second truth, which is Jesus has always been present since the beginning of time, but at this specific point that Mary conceived, he became flesh and was born flesh. He is fully man. He is fully God at one time. And I will read one final scripture to hit this home. Um, because I, I think it says it absolutely beautifully. And it's in Colossians 1, 5, verse 5, starting at verse 15. So if there are people in the room that are trying to, really struggling with this, or thinking this is bending my, my boundaries of what I have experienced and what I understand, let's, see what, let, let's look at like this verse from verse 15. It says, he, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now that in itself needs a lot of time to fully unpack, but it makes my skin, makes my hairs on my arms stand on end. It's, it's merging, it's connecting the dots between the eternal, the fleshly, God becoming man. And it also finishes off explaining quite succinctly what it was that Jesus' mission was, and that was to reconcile mankind to himself. Right, I've uh, spent a few moments on that, and I want to get into Luke 19, because that's what you're all here for. Okay, so we've established some truths that are really important at the beginning. Luke 19, 28 to 31. Jesus has been to Jerusalem many a time. His first ever visit was when he was taken by his parents to... Uh, to the temple and they paid tribute to God and the reason they did that was because he was the firstborn boy from the womb and therefore Jewish custom said there had to be a sacrifice uh, to, to honour God for that now as Jesus was as the parents were walking up the steps this is Mary and Joseph someone is there and 
There's a man called Simeon who is a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. This man had been told by God that he would not die until he sees the coming king, that, 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 that the salvation of Israel. And as Mary and Joseph innocently walk up, doing as custom would um, dictate, this man, Simeon, starts to speak. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That's a very remarkable thing to have happened. Mary, and it records that Mary and Joseph were quite taken aback by this prophecy that suddenly um, was, they received over their son. And again, Jesus was... Back in Jerusalem, many years uh, con concurrently to celebrate the, the festival of Passover with his parents. And during one particular event, when he was a 12-year-old boy, the Bible records, recalls that once the celebration had ended and his parents and their wider family had left, Jesus remained in, in Jerusalem. The parents have gone some, uh, a day's travel, and then they realize that actually Jesus isn't with them, and there starts to be a panic. They trace their steps back to Jerusalem, still hunting for where Jesus could be. And they find him three days later, a 12-year-old boy, without his family or wider for three days, um, is found sitting in the temple. Now, as any parent here would appreciate, that is probably a gut-wrenching, hideous experience to have gone through. And it says in uh, Luke 2, 46, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And, he said, uh, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching, you, uh, searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? So he's a 12-year-old boy. He's himself starting to comprehend, actually, Mary's his mother, Joseph is surrogate dad or stepdad, whatever you might refer to him, but actually his father is God. This adds further weight to the, the king that we're referring to in this series, the King Jesus, is the son of God. Now I've finally arrived at Luke, 18, uh, Luke 19, there's a passage for today. So if you want to join me there. Jesus again is returning to Jerusalem, but everything's different on this occasion. What do we learn from this passage and about Jesus the King? I'm going to start reading at 28 and I'll stop at various points within the scripture to expand on them further. So, if you want to read with me, or if you've got it, or just listen. And when he had said these things, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem because it was going to be Passover. He knew he should be heading that way. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at that moment, uh, sorry, at the mountain that, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where, you, where, not, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Now, Jesus is heading to, to the Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. That's remembering the, the period when, G, when God saved the Israelite nation from the Egyptians, when they fled from the Egyptian captivity. And it's a yearly tradition. 
But there's something very different about this event with Jesus that Jesus has in mind. He's been three years on the road preaching, teaching, demonstrating the kingdom with signs and wonders. And Jesus has started to allude to the fact that he's going to die. I didn't move. I do apologise. And action. So, <laughs> where did we get to? Okay, so Jesus is heading to Jerusalem for its Passover. He's been doing three years of ministry, preaching the new kingdom to come, just demonstrating it in signs and wonders. And he's started to share with the disciples that actually the, the thing that must happen is that he must die. He must give over his life in order to fulfill his purpose. But the, the disciples aren't really understanding that, but Jesus really comprehends that. And on this occasion, he's not prepared. He doesn't think it's fit to walk into Jerusalem. He was a man who spent his time of his ministry um, on foot in boats, something or other like that. So riding a donkey, um, especially a colt, which is, an, uh, which is a a juvenile donkey, that, um, and one that's never been ridden. So this was really going to stand out as something quite different. So he's sent his disciples off to go and find this donkey and untie it, bring it to him. There's a, there's a prophecy in Zechariah, some hundreds of years before, where it's, and I'm going to turn to it now and I'll read it. And Jesus being, well, the son of God, being a good Jew, is, is, is um, extremely well versed in his scriptures. One of the things that the Israelite nation had been told was that their king to cut, that would come and rescue them, the Messiah that they were all waiting for, would, would, there would be certain things that they would see to, in order to recognize him. And it says in Zechariah 9 verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, either by pre-arrangement or because he's just the son of God and has foreknowledge of what's going to happen, sends his disciples off to find this specific donkey. In verse 32, oh, in verse 31 it says, If anyone asks you, if you are, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found it, just as they had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And he said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Right, so mission accomplished. The colt was there. They picked it up and they took it away. Even when questioned, they were, the owners had no issue with it because the Lord had need of it. The disciples take their coats, cloaks, throw them onto the donkey, and then they, yeah, and then Jesus begins his journey in. This event is not only recorded in Luke, it's recorded in all the Gospels. Other Gospels say that cloaks were laid on the ground. Palm branches were cut down and laid on the ground. All of this adding further symbolism that this is a unique event and that this is the coming of the King. The Jews at the time were watching for their Messiah's return and they would have been fully aware of Zechariah 9 plus plenty of other scriptures. It's a bit different to how we would imagine our, our king. 
to travel, our queen, in fact, at the moment, isn't it? I know that she has a, um, a gold-encrusted carriage, soldiers at her beck and call, and they will parade out whenever she moves. And if she's going further journeys, she's got an extremely nice Bentley, which is not only supercharged and, and extremely quick, it's, I believe it's supposed to be bomb-proof, gun-proof, whatever, it, whatever the security services require it to be. But Jesus... He's doing what he's been told to do and is appropriate to the age. He's jumping on the back of a donkey, which would probably have been the equivalent. As Jesus starts his journey into Jerusalem, let's see what's happened. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on their way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on heaven and glory in the highest. I like the fact that Luke is focusing on the disciples here, and I'll start with that. But these guys are abounding with joy and delight at what Jesus has done in the three years that they have known him. And they can't contain their excitement. They're overwhelmed. And it's bursting out of them in an, in an uncontrollable fashion. And this is the praise and delight that Jesus should rightfully have received by the nation of Israel when he first arrived here. But they have misunderstood him. They haven't fully comprehended that he's the Messiah, their saviour. They were looking for someone slightly different. Someone that would come in and be triumphant, immediately overthrowing their enemies and, and establishing Israel as the mighty nation uh, everyone else will bow down to them. That's the, that's, that's the Jewish nation altogether. Because they hadn't seen all of that happening, they didn't worship Jesus in the same way. In fact, they gave him a pretty hard time over the things that he preached and the signs that he ministered with. But the disciples have got it, and they're walking in with Jesus, celebrating and, and, and delighting in this event that's of Jesus walking in on the donkey. In, another, in other Gospels, it talks about the, the, the wider community, the wider the, um, crowd actually joining in and praising as well. Now, whether or not they praised because they had known Jesus intimately and had been affected by him, or they praised because they saw this donkey in the cult and they also had a good understanding of their scripture and thought, it's coming. This man on the donkey is going to ride into Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow the powers, the Roman Empire, and he's going to establish us as the um as the principal nation on the earth. Maybe that's why they joined in. We don't, I don't really understand. But someone who takes a group of people that do take offence straight away and make... Oh, um, take offence straight away are the Pharisees, a religious group within the, within the Israelite community. And the Pharisees say to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's a very abrupt end to, our, to this passage that we're going to look at. But the Pharisees, they've misunderstood who Jesus is going to be. They've misunderstood who the Messiah was going to be. And therefore, they want the, to quell this activity. They want to dampen it down. They're hugely concerned that the Romans who have, they're the, uh, the authority, they're the occupying authority within Jerusalem and there's a fine balance between peace in Jerusalem and complete I don't know rebellion and so the Pharisees are jumping on it trying to dampen things down saying Jesus control this get your people in line we don't want any trouble with the authorities 
but they also don't like his teaching and they've always they've taken issue with his teaching right the way through the three years of his ministry so they're also trying to quell the message from spreading they don't want too much hype and too much stir but as i've been laying out this is a specific moment in time from the beginning of time they've been anticipating the coming of the king and the messiah and if you i think the word is crescendo in music is that right when you build and build and build and build like volume and drama until you get to a point that it reaches its height and this is the this is that moment in time the jesus's entry into jerusalem demonstrating that his king is hugely significant it cannot be contained so jesus said well if i did contain it all if i told them all to behave the rocks the inanimate objects that are around the very fabric of life uh, of the things around us would join in they would replace that praise because this moment cannot be missed this moment has to happen according to the promises and the prophecies that have been going that, that um, the, the israelite nation have been given over um, up until this point i think that's, that's why i wanted to emphasize the the, the different types of praise the praise of the immediate disciples was one out of genuinely knowing Jesus and what he had done and seeing this triumphal entry and then explosion and inward celebration. But then also the community misunderstanding things, joining in with the praise, but for different reasons. I think it's really important to distinguish the type of praise that was going on within this passage. So Jesus has fulfilled Zechariah 9, many other prophecies that he is the king, that he is the son of God, and now he has entered Jerusalem, or he's, sorry, he's making his entry to Jerusalem as the rightful king. And in many ways, the story needs to be, the baton, I need to pass the baton over to Matt for next week and then the subsequent weeks. But I want to draw out some important things from what we've learned about the coming of the king. And, and then we've got some, uh, I've got some applications which could be helpful to people. I think the first and most important thing to say is that the king has come. He's come. Let's stop seeking for him. I know that the Jews of today are still waiting for their Messiah to come and save them. He's come. He's been. And we've read about it today. Stop lurking. Stop searching in the wrong places is my message. And that's a message to us if we're not yet believing in Jesus and it can be a message to believers who have got their truth like I was saying their truth has got diverted bring it back bring it back to Jesus what else so the king has come he's come to earth he's lived as a man and that's that's fulfilled scripture I also wanted to throw in this, that isn't, this isn't God's emergency plan. It was, it was there from the beginning. It was intended. It wasn't God scrabbling together and thinking, right, how can I turn things around and bring people back to mankind? It was his intention for, for Jesus to come in flesh and blood. And the king of Jesus has gone through and he's, he's fulfilled the prophecies that were brought in the Old Testament. He's taught with godly authority and through supernatural signs and wonders. So if you're on a journey trying to work out what is Jesus more about, what is he all about, look at the evidence around him if you need further um, convincing of who he is.
and that he is the son of God and that he is the king. So what should we do with this information and, and apply this? I've broken this into three, into three areas. And I'll specifically talk to people right now who are seeking the truth in life. First of all, it's good news that you're seeking for the truth. You're, you're genuinely on a journey to find out what is, the tr- what is the truth in life and why are we here and what is it all about. That is very good news. And I want to encourage you to keep going on that journey. There's a few practical things that I recommend to you because I've done them in my life and I've seen them work for other people as well, many of the people in this room. First one, ask God to show you himself. And the simplest of prayers, you might not even appreciate it's a prayer, but just say to God, show me that you're there. I want to see more of you. I want to see if, you're, if you match up to who you say you, you are. Start off with that question. Once you've said that question, go looking in the right places so the right places to look would be if you've got Christian friends, if you're part of a Christian family, talk to these people, watch their lives, get in their faces, and then ask them to account for what's going on because they themselves have been on the journey and they're a few steps ahead of you. Another place to look is the church. Be part of us. Come and see what we're about and, and, and make sure that we stand up and we deliver on what we're saying and what our message says. We're not just a friendly group who serves nice coffee on a Sunday morning. We are more than that. We're about worshipping God and making his name known. And then the third one for you could be the Alpha Course. Many people, I think it's it's into millions now, or hundreds of thousands of people become Christians through the Alpha Course. And that's, uh, Melanie was talking about it earlier. That's a place where you can go ask more questions and, and find out more about God. Finally, you must make a decision based on what you've sought out and, what, and what's been shared with you and what's revealed. And the decision point is really important. Make it at the right time. Don't make it prematurely. Or don't forget that a decision needs to be made. Either you found out some stuff about Jesus and you believe he is who he said he was and you put your faith and trust in him. Or you actually conclude, no, he's not. And that's the opposite decision that can be made. But a decision needs to be made. Drifting, moving along can be an important time, but it also can be um, uh, failing to make a decision at the out of it, end of it is just going to leave you completely lost, even more lost than when you first started. So that's to those who are searching for the truth, that Jesus Christ is King. If you've found that truth, and the majority of people in this room have done that, that Jesus Christ is King, and you've chosen to believe in it, that is fantastic. You are in the kingdom. You are going to be in eternity with Christ. Well, you've already started your, your eternity with him, but one day we won't have uh, the earth in the way. We'll be in front of him in heaven. That would be fantastic. But whilst you're in that position, I, I encourage you to check your understanding of this truth. Has it been weakened by the things that are around us? Has it drifted? And that, believe me, it can happen. You can drift and you think, well, certain things in society creep in because they're so prevalent. But is your, has your truth drifted at all? And if, if you believe it has, don't be ashamed to say, I think it's drifted. It's identifying that it's drifted is the first step to correcting it. Spend time at church with your life group and in the scriptures. We've done the Freedom in Christ course, and I know I, know, I, know I, was, I should be a sponsor, shouldn't I? Right? I love it. I've, I've been really empowered by that. But there is material in there that you should be accessing readily, and I am accessing it readily because it's the boiled down truth of Christ easily accessible and very practical now that's that's looking at two different camps and inter and, 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 and looking at this truth that Jesus is king but the overarching importance of all of this is that 
for all of humankind, Christ is king, regardless if we acknowledge him before death or not. He is king. We will all bow our knee to him at, when we come to heaven, regardless of if we're going to be with him in heaven or within him, uh, without him and be in hell. That is an unavoidable truth that the world has done a lot to disguise, especially the West has done a lot to disguise that that truth is out there and that it must be considered and responded to. And, if that, and because of that universal truth that Christ is king, he's only, he is, sorry, it's only right to give him thanks and praise. Can you tell I'm an Anglican at my roots? It's only right to thank him and praise him for who he is, regardless of how we feel about him on that particular day or that particular time in life. All right. I'm going to, I'm wrapping up there. We're going to go into a time of worship now. Um, so let, I'd like to pray, and it'd probably be a good time for the band to, to step up while we do that. Um, it feels appropriate to say, has anyone got any questions? And it might not be that you can throw them out now. That's probably not the right way to handle them. But I do want you to come and see me at the end if you've got any questions, as particularly around truth, because I know that that's one that isn't, that you might have just felt a bit shaken about. But um, we don't just deliver the message and then walk off and expect you to deal with it. Come back to us to ask further questions and work things through. Right, let's pray. Well, I come before you, Jesus the King, and I thank you so much that you took it upon yourself to step out of heaven, to step out of eternity and make yourself into a human and then to live a life that we... Uh, that we've experienced, that you've come into flesh and blood and that you handed over that life to death on a cross. But further than that, you rose again. You rose. You conquered death. You conquered sin. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father. And now you're surrounded, but you actually have a throne. You have a throne room with people praising and worshipping. Those that, the believers that have already passed on, that went before us, they are there with you now worshipping and we are waiting for our chance to join you. And Lord, it's, it's right and it's good for us to worship you here and now whilst we wait for your return, whilst we wait for our opportunity to be in glory. So uh, wherever we're at on that journey, wherever we're at with understanding that, please help us move forward um, in, our, in our trust and our understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.